Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, that through it we can know who you are. And Lord, let it lead us to you. Don't let it terminate in just um, loving the scriptures, Lord, but that we love the scriptures because they lead us to you, who we love and treasure and cherish. So Lord, I pray that this morning as we look at your word, it would um, teach us through it, Holy Spirit, you would teach us and convict us, but also encourage us and equip us to lay hold to all that you, Lord, have for us. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we touched on last week, we're going to be talking about this relationship between faith and and works. The last few weeks we've talked about um, this idea of James uh, laying out and saying, look, if you really believe in, in Christ, if you're really following him, it will be demonstrated. And he, so he talks about not showing partiality, about caring for others, about um, caring for the, the poor and the, the widow and um, the orphan. And we wrestle with this, um, this issue of faith and works. It's actually the, the, it's at the core of much of, of controversy throughout the entire history of the church. What is the relationship between faith and works? And sometimes it can be used to be seen as like it's some kind of contradiction. And I just want to quickly say this about contradictions in Scripture. There are hard passages, there's no question. There are passages that I, I read and I struggle with. And, and one of the things that we often talk about is to let, let the clear passages of Scripture help in interpreting the unclear. So don't get lost in something that seems confusing, but it's also kind of vague and in, in, uh, when it's stacked up against all of this Scripture that's actually very clear and teaches um, what, what we understand about God and about Christianity. But most contradictions in the Bible are actually easily dealt with in just understanding this. The Bible is written to real people in real time and space by real people. And so because of that, to humans, from humans, through the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, it is trustworthy, yes, it is inerrant, it is exactly what God wanted to have communicated to his people, but they're communicated um, to a specific people dealing with specific issues. It's one of the reasons why we say scripture can't just be, you just don't, we don't take it and form a law out of it and just try to apply it in different ways and, and try to form some kind of religion of our own making. It's one why we have to handle scripture with, with care and with understanding. I mean, for example, let me just ask you this. Is it important to work hard or is it important to rest well? Yeah, yes. The answer is Yes. And what you are stressing in any given moment would be determined by who you are talking to. To the person who is burning the candles at both ends and who is just working themselves to exhaustion and finding their identity in, in what they're able to accomplish and they feel the burden and the weight of fixing everything around them and having to be the one to do everything, we would say, you need to rest. You need to learn how to rest in the Lord. But to the person who's, who's not working, who is lazy in their faith, who is lazy in, in their work, who, who is just mooching off of other people and not, and not seeing the importance of actually working hard as though unto the Lord, we would, we would exhort them about the importance of working as unto the Lord. Those two things aren't contradictory. They're actually complementary. 
And it depends on who are you speaking to and what are they dealing with. Because Christianity is not about a list of rules and laws that we are supposed to figure out exactly how to follow each one of them. Christianity is about a person. And our following Jesus in faith is the central, is the center of Christianity. And one of the things that we struggle with, especially when it comes to faith and works, is figuring out, okay, well, what, how should we view this? And one of the things that I think is helpful is to think of pure theology, which none of us uh, has, but if you have like the gospel, pure theology in all of its forms, think of it like the center. It's not on one side or the other. It is the, the center. Everything is orbiting because it's truth. Everything orbits around that. And attacks to it come from all around. Attacks to what is true and right doctrine and theology and understanding of God don't just come from one angle. They come from 360 degrees. And often what has happened in the church, throughout church history, is we've become so fixated on an attack that comes from this front that we leave ourselves completely open to the attacks that come from, the, from behind or from the sides. And actually what ends up happening is in trying to defend against this front, we find ourselves backing into this other heresy. For example, liberalism in the 1920s gave way to fundamentalism. Cold evangelicalism that didn't care about the poor because all that mattered is that people prayed a prayer and were saved opened the door for social gospel liberalism. When you only think that danger comes from one side, you're guaranteed to fall into the other. We have that in the early church and we have it very similarly today when it comes to faith and works. There are some who believe that being saved is about doing good and about being a good person. It is very common if you ask somebody, well, do you think you'll go to heaven? And if they say yes, you say, well, why? Well, I try to be a good person. But then you also find people in the church and Christians who believe that the way we are saved is by obeying the law or obeying the scriptures. So whether it is found in obeying the law, found in scripture, or just being a good person, it's actually the same thing. My salvation is based on my efforts and my obedience. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So then we'd say, right, that's, that's the thing. So we don't talk about works at all. We don't talk about that. We just talk about faith. It's by grace you are saved through faith. End of discussion. And we leave ourselves open to another attack. The belief that your actions are meaningless as long as you say you believe the right things. And it manifests itself in people putting their hope in saying a prayer or getting baptized or saying that they believe in God. All the time, I run into people who say, no, 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 I'm, I, I'm a Christian because I believe God exists. I was baptized when I was seven. I prayed a prayer. But then the evidence of their life is they're living as though they are their own God. So it's likely this is the scenario that James is thinking of when he writes this. 
And what James is going to say, and let me be really clear out front because it's such a critical um, understanding and critical doctrine. What James is going to make the argument of is, yes, it is faith that saves, but it is authentic faith, true faith. And that kind of faith is demonstrated in your actions. So I want to give James's argument about how faith and works relate. And then I want to turn it around on us and say, so do we have that kind of faith? And looking as always to the gospel as our answer. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It feels uncomfortable, right, to to read that. It feels uncomfortable. And he seems to be saying that without works, you cannot be saved. But is that actually what he's saying? I would argue no. Look at what he says. He says, can that faith save him? He doesn't say, can faith in general save a person? Is faith strong enough to save you? He's saying, can that faith, the faith that I just described, the faith that does not have works with it, can that faith save him? And so he's calling into question their understanding and definition of faith. And he's saying faith without works, it's, it's not faith at all. It's worthless. Part of what he's saying here is calling something faith doesn't mean it's faith. We understand that, right? Like calling something a thing doesn't make it that thing. Let me give you an an example. If I told you, what if I told you I am a great hunter? You don't have to. (laughs) Here's what I love. We have visitors here today and they're like, these people are disrespectful to the... No, they don't know. Like, maybe he is a great hunter. Uh, like, what if I told you, like, look, no, I'm, I'm a great hunter. And you say, like, well, tell me about that. Like, man, like listen, I, I have found this perfect spot. Nobody else seems to know about it. But I go, and every time, I come back with something awesome. So I am a great hunter based on, like, what it produces. You're like, well, okay, that's a pretty solid, like, yeah. I mean, you can't say you're a great hunter if you go out and it's been 20 years since you've gotten a deer. You're not a, you're not a great hunter, right? So you'd say, okay, so you, you, it actually produces something. Yeah, every time I go out hunting, I come back with something awesome. Where, where is the spot? Aldi. <laughs> every time. I go there and I hunt. I go in this case. I grab it and it almost never gets away. Like, I get it and I get it. Dude, I, I, like, I take it home, and wow, like, how do you prepare it? I don't prepare it. I like to have somebody else do that. But I, but I can get it. I can gather it. Calling it hunting doesn't make it hunting. FYI, just because I love you, I was going to use examples of sitting in a deer stand in a comfy chair looking out a window is not hunting, but I'm not going there right now. So <laughs> I guess by saying it, I did say it. All right, whatever. Different ones, more, more about me. So like, if, you don't, if people don't know, I am, I'm a Broncos fan. And so um, I you know, have spent, lived for a long time in Colorado, grew up as a Broncos fan, actually. And, and, um, and, and today, they're actually playing the Bears. And so my favorite team is playing Kristoff's favorite team. 
And they are arguably, or maybe certainly, the two worst teams in the NFL. And I couldn't help but think, like, as I'm watching that game, calling this football doesn't make it football, right? It doesn't, like, just because I say it something doesn't mean it's that thing. And James is saying calling something faith doesn't mean it's actually faith. Just because you label it that thing doesn't mean it's actually that thing. And so he gives an example of how they're just words and how it's not actually faith. When he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So you can say you think that they should have food and be warm. You can say like, oh man, I think everyone should have, I mean, I feel like there should not be a a hungry child in our county. We can say that. But if we don't actually do something, it accomplishes nothing. The act of feeding them and clothing them accomplishes something. And James says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Look at the parallel he's drawing. He's saying, so also the words of faith actually don't do anything. Just saying that you have faith is not the kind of faith that saves. Saying you believe in God, saying you have been saved, just it breaks my heart and seeing people are just, they've determined for themselves, like, no, I, I have to hold this. I, I know I grew up in the church and so I am saved because, because that's what I believed at one point or I think I did. Just saying you have faith doesn't actually do anything. It's the act of faith that accomplishes something. Saying you believe doesn't mean you actually believe. So just like calling something a thing doesn't make it that thing, saying you believe doesn't mean you actually believe. Imagine visiting a financial planner and they give you an outline of what you should do and where you should invest and they say, this, will, this is guaranteed to make you wealthy in retirement. And so you might ask them, like, oh, so, so are you doing this? What if they said, oh, no, me, no, not at all. Like just saying they believe that this is the best course of action is worthless. What they actually believe is demonstrated by their actions. And just like here in the early church, this new, um, constantly the gospel that is this epicenter is being attacked from all these different fronts. The gospels are filled with examples of works-based righteousness of the Pharisees and and Jesus um, attacking that. And then Paul, working hard to attack it, Jesus does it and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup And the plate, but inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. And so they know to be on guard against that, that we are not works-based. It is not about just cleaning the outside of the cup or looking like we have faith and standing on a street corner and praying so everyone will hear all of our words. Jesus tears all of that down, but now they're being attacked from a different front, a different ditch where they're talking about a type of cheap grace that essentially says, look, as long as you say you believe, everything's fine. 
It doesn't matter what you do because you're covered by the faith that you have and the demonstration of that faith is just in the words that you say. And James is defending against that front. And he says, that's not faith. That might be an intellectual agreement at some level. It might be knowledge of the reality or the existence of God. But that's not actually faith. And he's going to give two arguments here to demonstrate and to prove that that's not faith. One is theological and the other is biblical. The theological one, he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I love it when there's sarcasm in scripture because it's so, it just feels so vindicating. It's very minimal though. Like I have to acknowledge that it's very rare that the, the authors of scripture use sarcasm or irony, but this is definitely a place. When he says, you believe that God is one, you're doing great. Guess what? Even the, believe, the demons believe. Is that who you're modeling your faith after? Like James is getting after it. He's saying, good for you. Demons believe the same thing. In fact, they believe the same thing and they shudder in fear because they actually know and understand who God is. Whereas we often are so flippant about that knowledge. See, the demons actually believe. They don't have a problem believing who God is. But they don't love him. They don't see him as a treasure. And I just want to keep pressing into this, that for years, in a desire to protect and to talk about the importance of theology, which is really important, that's a front that the gospel has had to battle against, is to say it matters what we believe, it matters what the Bible says, it matters these doctrines of the faith, they're not just meaningless, it matters, but in trying to just constantly fight on that front, we found ourselves being susceptible to a church culture that says all that matters is you say you believe the right things, that you study the right things, that you read the right authors, that you can kind of regurgitate the right answers. And James says, that's not faith. The demons have way better theology than you or me. And that kind of faith cannot save you. And then he gives biblical examples. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, if you know your Bible, you might be thinking, wait, wait, wait. Didn't it say that it was by Abraham's faith that he was counted as righteous? And now isn't James saying the opposite? He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So here's what's going on here. What he's referencing is Genesis 15, 
When it says Abraham believed God, when God promised him um, to make him a great nation, he promises and that he's going to have this offspring. When Abram, Abraham is wondering, like, why I don't have an offspring? Like, everything that you've given me is just going to go. It's going to be footed away. I won't go to a son because I don't have one. And God says, essentially, I'm going to give you one. And it says Abraham believed, and it was counted, God counted it as righteousness. And what's interesting about that is we could say, yeah, and that was demonstrated in his faith of offering up his son Isaac to be sacrificed. But Genesis 15 is before Abraham and Isaac. It's before Isaac. He doesn't have a son. He has it long before Isaac is born. So what's the point? The point is this, that Abraham's faith in that moment was genuine. It is counted as righteousness without the works that would come, but those works would come because genuine faith produces those works. Does that make sense? That's important. His faith was genuine, and God knew that, and it would produce the works of even offering up his own son, trusting God as his offspring. So his works didn't make his faith genuine. His works revealed that his faith was genuine. Listen, my love for my kids should be demonstrated every day. But that's not the same thing as needing to prove my love for my kids every day. If you say to a person, well, if you do this thing for me, then I'll know that you love me. That's actually really dysfunctional and harmful. But if you say to somebody, I know you love me because of all these things that you have done, that is love. That's very different. And so Abraham, what James is saying, Abraham didn't prove his faith. He demonstrated it. And it's not for God. God already knows. <clears throat> so the works that James is talking about, he's not saying, hey, listen, I know you say you believe, but you got to do some things. Otherwise, God's going to look at it and go, man, I don't think you actually believe. It's not for God. He already knows the genuineness of your faith. And your faith, the genuine faith that saves, is counted to us as righteousness before and apart from any works that are done. It is not for God. It is for you and it is for the church. It is for you that you would not be deceived like we so often see in the scriptures of people saying, but, I, but I'm following God and Jesus saying, no, you're not. It's a protection from thinking you believe but not having the faith that saves. And it's for the church so that we can be the church that we're called to be. That we would, if, if you've seen anything heartbreaking in the church over the last like decade or so, there's all kinds, story after story after story of leadership falling, of churches falling apart. Not to mention the fact that churches dying all over the place who are no longer following Jesus at all. And why does that happen? That we would discern what true faith looks like. That we would stop appointing people to positions of leadership and influence who do not demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, but are just really good at talking about it. Who give no evidence of faith except their skills. That is what James is confronting. 
And he says, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So he's referencing Joshua 2. I'm not going to go deep into that, but you can, you can read in Joshua 2. But Rahab was a prostitute who welcomed in the two spies that were sent out, that Joshua had sent out these two spies to kind of scout Jericho out. And the king of Jericho hears about this and calls Rahab and says, hey, surrender them. Surrender these two spies to us. And she lies to protect them. She hides them and she says, no, they escaped. And before the gate closed, they ran. You should probably go chase them. Now think about this. What would make her do that? She's standing before a king who could have her killed immediately like that. If he even gets a sniff that she is lying, he's going to have her killed. If he finds those spies, he's going to have her killed. Why would she do that? What says in Joshua 2, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof where she had hidden them and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. She believed that the God of Israel was the true God and she feared him above the king of Jericho. How many times have you and I said things like, oh, I fear God above all things. I fear God more than I fear man. But what do our works say? Rahab's works said, I definitely fear God more than I fear even the king of Jericho. So her works did not save her. It was her faith. And her faith was the kind that produces works. So really, James is making a a very common sense argument here. It's not actually that complicated. If you believe, then you will act on that belief. That's faith. If you believe that you are to fear God and not man, or live for the praises of God and not man, then you'll live that out. You'll, You'll pursue the praises of God. Faith is compiled of belief and works, and if you take one of them away, then it's dead. The Pharisees had works but no faith, and that leads to death. But to have faith with no works, it's not actually faith at all. It's just talk, and talk doesn't save. It's really quite simple. It's actually the Pharisees and the religious people who make it really complicated. They want to ask specifics about, like, well, what kind of works, and what kind of faith, and and what exactly do you have to believe for that faith to count, and which works do you have to do? And so they ask questions about, like, tithing mint and dill and which taxes you should pay and how much you should pay and if it's lawful to what is it lawful to do on the sabbath can you heal somebody should you not should you like just partially do that like what do you do and jesus comes along and says see that field over there there was a big treasure in that field what would you do like what would you do you go and dig it up if you knew there was a giant treasure buried in that field over there and so when he tells the parable he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field because you have to have that treasure 
when he asks, like, what's permissible on the Sabbath? Like, should you do good or do harm? He's like, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or destroy it? It's actually not that hard. If you're asking, like, well, how do I, how do I treat that person? How would you want to be treated? Well, what's lawful? Like, who is my neighbor? Like, whoever's in front of you. Be a neighbor to the person in front of you. So it's actually not that complicated. If you believe that the kingdom is a treasure in a field, then you will seek it first with everything you have. If you believe that you have been forgiven, then you will forgive others. If you believe that Jesus is the way, then you'll follow him. If we have faith that these things are true, that Jesus is returning, then we will live as though he is returning. Scriptures The Gospels especially are full of parable after parable after parable that is demonstrating that very point. If you believe this is the reality or this is going to happen, then you would act in that way. But because you don't act in that way, it shows you don't actually believe this. And that's the question. What kind of faith do we have? Do we believe? And we often quickly say yes, but 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 think, do we? I love Luke 14, the parable of the great banquet. This is one of those examples. Jesus is talking about how awesome, like when you have a banquet, don't invite people who can pay you back. Like, invite everyone. And people are sitting there listening to him. Man, that's so great. Love that. That sounds amazing. He said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Hey, Jesus, this kingdom you're talking about is amazing. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable of a man who gave a great banquet and sent out his servant to invite everyone, but they all had excuses. They all had worldly pursuits. It was essentially like they were saying, that sounds amazing. I totally want to be a part of that. I totally wish I could be there. It's just I got this other thing that I got to take care of. I got this other thing that's pretty important. It's just words. And so when the person is looking at it and Jesus is talking about the banquet of the kingdom of heaven, people are saying, man, that is amazing. This is going to be so great. And Jesus says, actually, most people aren't going to see it. Most people will say how awesome it looks on the outside, but their actions will show they don't actually believe it's that great. So do you believe? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I I thought I did, but now I'm not so sure. Super encouraging. Glad I came to church here this morning. Let me ask you, think about something right now that you've done that demonstrates faith. Something recently, something a long time ago, something where you said, man, this is a test of my faith. I believe this, and so you acted in a way that was not your intent, like that was not your desire at the core, it was not like your first thought or whatever, but you, you stepped out in faith. Now think about some area of your life or some incident where you would have to say, my actions actually showed that I didn't have faith. I say I believe this. I say that I don't have to worry because God is in control, but I, but I worry. I say that, that God has forgiven me like incredibly, like just completely beyond merit. He has forgiven me and yet I look and I've judged other people. 
I say that the kingdom is worth everything, and yet I find myself pursuing worldly treasures. So what do we do with that? Does that mean you question your salvation? This is where you have to be careful. Last thing I want is for someone to question their salvation because they're not perfect. Here's the question. When you think of those times where you know my, my works do not demonstrate the faith that I say that I believe, what do you feel in your heart? What do you see? Do you feel pierced and convicted? Do you feel beaten down and shamed? Or do you feel nothing? If you hear this message and your assessment of your life is you feel nothing, that you look at it and you're like, no, actually, I can't even think of a time where my works haven't demonstrated my faith. That's a warning sign. And I just pray, because my words will mean nothing, but I pray that the Holy Spirit in this moment will pierce through that hardened heart and convict. That's the person that Jesus is constantly warning. The person who looks at it and says, nah, it's all good. That's the red flag. If you are pierced to the heart, where you feel like, yeah, that's that. I grieve over that and I want to act differently and I see it. That is the Holy Spirit revealing that to you in his kindness. He isn't doing it to shame you. He's doing it to point out and draw that out so that he can shape you into who he's making you into, who you were actually created to be. And so your response to that should be turn to him and receive that mercy and rejoice that the Holy Spirit is revealing that to you and showing you and that you have a soft heart. But if you are beaten down in shame and your posture is just you're hearing the voice of like, why can't you be better? Why can't you do better at this? Why do you keep saying these things and you're never doing the right thing? That is not the Holy Spirit. That is the enemy. Stop listening to him and turn to Christ. And as you turn to Christ, you will see that James is not burdening us with something. He's saying, well, you've got to prove this. You've got to figure it out. He's actually demonstrating through us, showing us the gospel. Because how do we know that God actually means the things that he says? Because of what he's done. How do you know that he says he loves you? How do you know that he won't withhold any good thing from you? How do you know that he will complete the work that he has started? How do you know that it's worth it, that he can deliver? He rose from the dead. He lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we deserved, exchanging his righteousness and giving it to us freely by grace through faith that we could receive that and we might become the righteousness of God. He did that. 
And what we find is as we battle over works and faith, we realize that Jesus does the work that gives us faith. And all we are called to do is to walk in that and to believe that he's done it and live accordingly. Listen, church, we want to be a community that wholeheartedly pursues the abundant life that is offered from Jesus, in Jesus Christ. We want to be a church that says, because I believe that Jesus Christ, through his blood, I was bought and redeemed and adopted back to God's own family. Because I believe that wholeheartedly, I'm going to work to care for orphans in our community. Because I believe that I have nothing to offer God and that he is just my benefactor, just blessing, showering blessing upon blessing upon blessing, I am going to seek to relieve the suffering of the poor and just give and give and give. We know that pursuing this radical life that Christ has called us to is found in radically pursuing him, not turning back, not serving two masters, not hedging our bets, not distracting ourselves with arguments about irreverent, silly myths, but training ourselves in godliness and remembering and reminding one another that it is not a bar to achieve. It's a promise that's being fulfilled in us. That the faith that you've been given, if it is in the Spirit, the faith you've been given is forming you into the image of Christ. You are not responsible to become more like Christ, to just keep working harder so that you can become more like Christ. He is doing that in you. If you believe, then you will respond and act with his work. He's not saying if you do enough works, you will prove your faith. He is saying that true faith changes you and produces that. And every opportunity that we get faced with that, we have an opportunity to repent and go deeper into abiding in Christ and deeper into following the Spirit. So we just, as we pursue that together as a church, I just want to encourage you, confront your lack of faith. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't be your own justifier. Don't be your own excuser. Confront it. In Mark 9, there's a father whose son is possessed by an evil spirit and is destroying his son. And he goes to Jesus and he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This is a daily cry from me. Every day, I am confronted with opportunities where I see my faith prove itself through works that I could show, and I praise God for the faith to do that. And every day, I have moments where I'm confronted with the reality of, I believe but I don't believe enough in this moment. I don't have faith because I chose to go this other way. I chose to give over to this desire or this thing that I thought was going to fix something. And every time that happens, try to grow in this discipline of, Lord, I, I believe. Not in shame heaping on me, but just confess and say, that was not an act of faith. That was an act of just my own works and my own justification my own strength. 
And I just confess that. Lord, I believe. I believe that what you're offering is better. Help my unbelief that tears me away. And so I hope that that could be for you, that you look every day and say, I see fruit of faith in my life. I see myself changing. I, I'm making decisions differently than I did before. I see in, in, in this other areas doing things that I would never have done before, having a mentality towards others that I would never have had before. But then there's these other times where I feel like my life is still lacking faith, that I hear, don't worry, but I keep worrying. And so I know that that's happening. And I just want to encourage you, when you see that lack of of faith don't justify don't deflect don't defend just turn to Christ and say I believe help my unbelief help me don't comfort yourself in your own strength don't let other people tell you like hey nobody's perfect hey you're doing the best you can hey like you know it's understandable like those other things say no encourage others around you say no no, no. I need you to tell me to believe if I just believe it's not shame it's not guilt it's not saying, hey, shape up, or, or like, you know, I just can't be around you, or like, it's not beating people up. It's saying, believe. Isn't this amazing? Jesus already did this for you. Just lay hold of that. And that's why we need community in that, to take, take comfort in the gospel together, to pick each other up, to remind one another that Jesus is worth it, even when we struggle to believe it, to believe that the kingdom is a treasure hidden in a field, even when we struggle to believe it, that Jesus is worth it, that what he has, what he's doing in you right now and through you, even through your trials and your circumstances, that what he's producing in you is better than just being released from those circumstances right now. Anybody have trouble believing that? I have trouble believing that, but we can help each other in believing that. No, 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 he's doing something incredible. And we can grieve with people in that moment. We can say, I know, I mean, I can't even imagine what that's like to have that. I can imagine why you are worrying. To have compassion, to not be judgmental about that, to sit with people and grieve and understand. But then to say, isn't it incredible that Christ says we don't have to, that whatever we're afraid of, that Christ is bigger than all of that. See, worry is understandable, but it's not inevitable. Discouragement in the face of trials is understandable and worthy of compassion, but it's not inevitable because Christ has already accomplished that for us because we trust him and we pursue him. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Not settling, but with joyful anticipation seeing who we are becoming because of what he has already done. Let's pray. Father, we do believe, like just by virtue of the fact that we're here this morning, there's something in us, and even for those who are, are seeking here this morning, who would say, I, I don't know what I believe. I'm here, just, I'm just observing. I got invited. I don't, I don't know. Lord, I pray that in your kindness, you would give them a glimpse of who you are. Because, Lord, we all know that the world around us is broken. But in you, in your creation, we see the beauty of what we were meant to be. And in the life of Jesus Christ, we see your compassion 
poured out for us as you become like us. And then in your death, we see you paying the price for all the sin and the brokenness that we have brought and perverted your creation. But in the resurrection, we see that it is not over. You have defeated sin and death for all time. And it is not by our works that none of us may boast, but it is your grace that saves and it is our faith that you are who you say you are and you have done what you say you have done and that you will do what you have promised to do. Give us faith to live in a way that demonstrates our belief. And in so doing, let us lay hold to the abundant life of freedom and joy and peace, though the world around us may crumble, the brokenness around us. We persevere because of your work in us. We have joy because of what you have promised to us. We have peace because you are with us. We believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.